This is a Saucer Life bonus episode for our friends on the Chizo Media Patreon. This edition for March 2022 is about Art Bell and the so-called Lear test and about my personal history with paranormal radio, which I've talked about on the regular show here and there. I think I, I did do a radio in the 90s episode at one point where I talked about some of this, but I think focusing in on one particular episode of the Coast to Coast AM program, not from the 90s, but a classic nonetheless after Art's supposed retirement, one of the several retirements that he had, might be interesting and illuminating and something to talk about that might not come across as well to to the mass audience of the show and I'm using mass lightly. Oh, I'm using mass lightly. That was that was actually pretty funny. Um but that I think you here on the Patreon might appreciate. So, what was my personal history with paranormal radio and the paranormal scene? I didn't really have any growing up, not even through high school or college apart from Maybe listening to local radio when a UFO type would be on a call-in show or one of those local shows. I think I heard Wendell Stevens on local radio, uh, WOWO, WOWO, 1190 AM in Fort Wayne, Indiana, one afternoon in 1996, where he was pitching his uh, UFO slideshow that I did go to that evening um, right after my girlfriend broke up with me. So girlfriend broke up with me and then I got to go see Wendell Stevens' slideshow. Not a great day, but eh, not the worst. So I first heard some of the classic paranormal radio programs back in the late 1990s, sort of at the tail end of college. And I heard these via the internet because I did some checking and there was nowhere around me anywhere when I lived in any certain place that was broadcasting coast to coast AM or any of these other programs. So internet streaming via real audio, remember real audio was the only real exposure I had to these things. And unfortunately, and it made kind of an impression on me, the first internet based and audio radio based program I heard was sightings on the radio hosted by Jeff Rents. Now, you might be saying to yourself, isn't Jeff Rents a somewhat dangerous, unhinged extremist type who gives a platform to other, even more unhinged extremist types? Yes. Yes, he is. He hit that very well back in the late 90s. Looking at it now, listening to old Jeff Rents programs now, I can see little traces of some things with some of his guest choices. Um, David Icke, obviously, but back in 95, 96, 97, 98, even into 99, he was fairly mainstream. He was carried by uh, Premier Radio Networks. I think before Art Bell was, I think Premier picking up coast to coast sort of put rents out in the wilderness, which allowed him to to be a little more politically extreme. I might be misremembering that history, though. Um, I'm sure one of you will correct me. 
if I am. So I listened to Rents, and through Rents, I heard interviews with mainstream people that I got into and whose books I read. People like Stanton T. Friedman, people like Brad Steiger, who I'd heard of, his books were everywhere, and others who were not, you know, nuts. And from there, after college, I discovered the Paranet Continuum radio program, which started in the mid-90s. It might be the first radio program that was an offshoot of an internet forum, or rather a bulletin board system, which was pretty amazing. And the host, Michael Corbin, did a wonderful job. And from there, I got into Coast to Coast AM and its partner program at the time, Dreamland, which was later spun off into a Whitley Strieber-owned vehicle or show. Now, I worked days during those days and after, so listening to programs that took all night was difficult. So finding old tapes, finding old recordings on the internet is how I relived those halcyon days of the 1990s. And it was interesting. And one of the things about old coast to coast that I loved were the ads that Art Bell would read. And of course, when I went to find copies of these ads, I couldn't because all the copies of these shows I've sort of saved have the commercials edited out because who wants commercials? Well, I want commercials. I want commercials very badly. But I did find this one that had this marvelous ad for Art Bell's After Dark newsletter. KNCO Grass Valley, a service of Nevada County Broadcasters in our 20th year of broadcast excellence. KNCO News Talk 83. Many of the things you hear me talk about on both my shows, Coast to Coast and Dreamland, and in each issue, I put some of my more poignant thoughts on paper for your perusal. By the way, After Dark is not one of these little photocopy deals. You know, three or four sheets of white paper and a staple in the upper left-hand corner. No, no, no. This is a full-blown magazine format on slick paper with lots of color throughout. If you like my radio program, I know you're going to love After Dark. To order, call toll-free 1-800-917-4278. That's 1-800-917-4278. After Dark. It's the definitive chronicle of nighttime radio. Fabulous. Yes, I agree. It is fabulous. On that episode, a previous regular episode where I talked about radio in the 90s, I think I go into Art Bell's After Dark newsletter or in one of the zine scene episodes, but it's good stuff. So I love those cheesy ads for Kita Slim, which sweeps fat out of your digestive system like a broom, and Sea Crane shortwave radios, and regular radios, and the Sanjean wind-up radio for after Y2K hits, and we only get to use wind-up radios to listen to things broadcast via, supposedly, I guess, wind-up transmitters. So there were things I didn't like about these shows. I didn't like callers. Most of the time, I have no interest in what Bob from Des Moines has to say about anything. I wanted to listen to more interviews with the guests or just more of art talking about things. Uh, but callers were a feature and the, the unscreened nature was occasionally amusing. The um, September 11th, 1997 Area 51 hotline um, episode was a classic, of course, with, you know, the strange caller who was apparently under some kind of threat. 
on my Area 51 line. You're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Yes. Hi. Um, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of uh, time. Um, well, look, look, let's begin yeah. by finding out whether you're using this line properly or not. Area 51. Yeah, um, that's right. Were you an employee or are you now? I, a former employee. Former employee. Um, I, I was let go on a medical discharge about a week ago, and and I, I've kind of been running a, across the country. Um, oh man, I don't know where to start. They're they're uh, they're, they're gonna um, they'll triangulate on this position really really soon. So um, you can't spend a lot of time on the phone. So give us something quick. Okay. Um. Um. Okay, what what we're thinking of as as aliens are they're uh, they're they're extra dimensional beings that an earlier precursor of the um, space program made contact with uh, they they are not what they claim to be uh, they have infiltrated a lot of uh, uh, a lot of aspects of of, of Military establishment, particularly the Area 51, uh, the, the disasters that are coming. They, the, the military, I'm sorry, the, the government knows about them, and there's a lot of safe areas in this world that they could begin moving the population to now. Art, but they're not doing. They're not doing anything. They are not. They want the major population centers. Wiped out, so that the the few that are left will be more easily controllable. Discharge. Uh, <laughs> I, I started getting. Well. This was certainly interesting. Yes, it was. And it was that kind of unpredictability when you did take callers that that could present really entertaining, engaging radio. Now, that particular call, I think I read somewhere not too um, long ago that whoever was responsible for that sort of hoaxy call about Area 51 came forward or something about it. If one of you knows more details about that, throw it in the comments because I remember something else came about because of that. But that's sort of my background with this stuff and what interests me about it. And I was really into Coast to Coast AM in 2002 and 2003. I listened most nights. I was a subscriber. So I I listened during the day because I I couldn't stay up all night listening to Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie or Art Bell or Ian Punnett or whoever was hosting on a particular day. But one episode that always stuck in my mind and that was I don't know if I want to say important to me was the November 2nd, 2003 episode where John Lear came back to talk to Art Bell. Now, I don't think Lear had been on the show since the early to mid nineties back before it was even the coast to coast AM we, we recognize, but this was an interesting experience for me because John Lear's writings, the dark side hypothesis, the Krill Papers type stuff. If you recall from previous episodes, this was sort of my entree into this whole thing. 
back in the late 1990s when I first got on the internet. So this was different than a lot of Art Bell things. This was a retro story. This was something that was a piece of my personal UFO history that was playing out in the present. And what was also interesting or, or affecting for me about this is that I was not listening to it time shifted or delayed or in the coast to coast AM app the next day. I didn't call them apps that back then it was just a website, but I was listening to it in real time. I listened to this while driving all night, the way coast to coast AM should be listened to. And I think it's an interesting story. So November 2nd, 2003 was a Sunday and I had had a very long day and I was at the tail end of a very long day. I had been earlier that day in Indianapolis for my goddaughter's baptism. I then got in a car with some friends and drove two hours south of Indianapolis to um, my alma mater, Hanover College, for a presentation that was being done uh, by some of the history faculty, which was great. And then after that, we went to one of the history professor's homes and drank some beer and talked for a couple hours. And by 10 p.m., we were ready to drive back to Indianapolis. And so around 10 p.m., I was back in Indianapolis and realized that I had a five-hour drive ahead of me to get home to a small town in Michigan where we were living at the time. And I had a job interview the very first thing the next day. So it was about midnight I'm looking to get home around 5 a.m., probably with stops and gas and everything, about 6 a.m., and I have a job interview for an editorial position at a state history magazine at 8.30 a.m., which will involve another hour of driving you know, from my home to where the interview is. So this is – we're into deeply stupid, irresponsible territory at this point. So I'm driving home. It's dark. It's foggy. It's that late October, early November chill in the air. And I am finally at 1 a.m. Eastern time when it comes on, finally listening to Coast to Coast AM the way I had wanted to, the way I loved to when I was driving at night. And miracle of miracles, it was John Lear who hadn't been on the scene for probably close to five years at that point. It was amazing. And I enjoyed it, even though initially the first hour was very boring. Uh, the first hour of the, the Lear part was very boring with going over his family history and his jobs as a pilot, but not really going too deeply into any interesting territory. I wanted to hear about flying saucers. I wanted to hear about feuds with Bill Cooper. I wanted to know who the heck John Grace actually was. I wanted to hear about the OH Krill papers. I wanted to hear about all of that great stuff. We weren't getting that. But what we would get about halfway through the show was something that has become known as the Lear test. John would tell Art everything that was true and present it as Art was being given this briefing by the government. And it would be up to Art to determine whether or not the public should be made aware of all of these things. And it was fascinating and creepy to listen to as I drove through the foggy night. So, uh, okay, let's say the government chose me. 
they were going to use me as an outlet to release this information. Let's just say they did that and they took me to a briefing. Then what, John? Okay, we whisk you to, or they whisk you to Washington, D.C. You get limoed to this building, beautiful building. You go up into this room. Uh, they say, Art, you're the guy. Um, if you give us the go-ahead, we're going to release everything we know to the public. And if you decide to go ahead, all major networks will be provided with information on all aspects of the cover-up. No type of information will be withheld because of the deal for immunity for all participants of the cover-up provides that nothing, no artifact, no piece of information be withheld. So here's what happened, Art. Uh, and, of course, this will call, uh, we'll use some videos and stills. Our first UFO recoveries were in the late 30s. We made a couple in the beginning of the 40s, and then came Roswell, which the public found out about. We got two live aliens from Roswell. One died shortly thereafter. One lived until 1956. And we found out that so far there are 18 different alien species that we know about monitoring Earth. Some are good, some are hostile, most are indifferent. Uh, we found out that we are the experiment or product, if you will, of an alien race who we never met and really don't know who they are. All we know is that the greys are cybernetic organisms, glorified robots, if you will, who work here at the behest of their employers, monitoring us through abductions. Uh, we were never able to find out what the experiment is all about, except that we have been externally corrected about 65 times, and they, the aliens, refer to us as containers. There has been speculation that the souls our bodies contains is the reason for the experiment, but nothing has been proven or determined. Since 1938, we have lost over 200 aircraft to UFO hostilities and thousands of soldiers in all kinds of different kinds of action with aliens. Since that time, several hundred thousand civilians have disappeared with no trace. And several thousand were eliminated by us because of their chance encounters with aliens, which we could ill afford to have publicized. A slightly more frightening phenomenon known as human mutilations have occurred on a regular basis and are similar to the cattle mutilations in that the humans or humans are taken from the street, so to speak, and returned to the same area about 45 minutes to an hour later with their rectums cored out, their genitals removed, their eyes removed from their sockets, and completely drained of blood. In all cases, it appears that the mutilation procedures occurred while the persons were still alive and conscious. One of our scientists speculated that apparently the human specimens had to be alive for the samples to be worth anything. Abductions occur on a daily basis throughout the United States to at least 10% of the population. And when we first became aware of this, we protested to the little gray being that we held in the captivity at YY2, uh, YY-2 facility at Los Alamos, but a deal was struck that in exchange for advanced technology from the aliens, we would allow them to abduct a very small number of persons, and we would be periodically given a list of those persons abducted. We got something less than the technology we bargained for and found that the abductions exceeded by a million-fold what we had naively agreed to. In 1954, President Eisenhower met with a representative of another alien species at Miroc Test Center, which is now called Edwards Air Force Base. This alien suggested that they could help us get rid of the graves, but Eisenhower turned down their offer because they offered no technology. At this, at this point, it became apparent to all involved that there was no such thing as a god, at least as the public perceives god. Certainly some kind of computer recorder stores information, and an occasional miracle is displayed by the aliens to influence a religious event. So this, this so unnerved Eisenhower that he had, in God we trust, put on paper money and coins 
and put into the Pledge of Allegiance to reaffirm the public belief in God. Shortly after this, it was determined at meetings between the U.S. and Russians that the situation was serious enough that a Cold War should be manufactured as a ruse to divert attention of the public away from UFOs and towards some other scary threat, the H-bomb. It was also decided to keep the ruse secret from any elected or appointed official within both the U.S. and Russian government as long as, uh, as it took so long to vet these uh, officials and the ruse was easier to manage if the top people didn't know about it. In the late 1950s, NASA was formed to compartmentalize, containerize, and sanitize information from all space platforms and vehicles. We sold NASA to the public claiming that all information would belong to them. Actually, they got very little, and even that was highly sanitized. Our first efforts were to keep the public from learning about Venus, uh, and that is a similar planet to Earth, and that its population is very similar to us, but more technologically advanced. Uh, we have learned a lot from them. Starting with the Russian Venera 1 and U.S. Mariner 2, we made Venus look like a lead-melting volcanic surface spewing sulfuric acid into a pressurized atmosphere 90 times that of Earth. And was often the case we overdid it and wondered why no one ever asked how a parachute survived a descent into 800-degree air. We set up operations in Pine Gap, Australia to preclude any prying eyes trying to figure out what we were up to. We regularly eliminated, through extreme prejudice, anybody who was part of the operation and made the least little tiny threat about disclosure or satisfaction with the operation. Any space mission that included Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, Mariner, Voyager, Clementine, and all the rest, all data initially came transmitted to Pine Gap, and then it was relayed to JPL or wherever uh, after the sanitizing. We had a little trouble with amateur radio operators, uh, but we figured out when they figured out how they could intercept these signals, but we managed to deal with that. When the Russian threat began to fade, we introduced Vietnam, which kept the public occupied for over 10 years. The cover-up and the personnel to run the operation began to get bigger and bigger and required more and more money. We were enforced to inflate the defense budget, which soon was not enough. Then we got into the drug business, which was still not enough. We were the ones that looted the savings and loan industry and Wall Street to boot. It is so out of control now, most people want immunity and want out. There, but there is so much secrecy and so many double and triple blinds in place that it is unlikely that this thing can ever be dismantled. And even if you give us the go-ahead to spill the beans to the public, it's unlikely they will get anything more than, yes, we recovered a flying saucer, and yes, there was an occupant, but that's all we're going to tell you. So go ahead and roll the tape for Mr. Bell. Uh, what you see here are, are the human mutilations uh, look like. That one was a male about 27 years old. Uh, now, that film is of dead aliens being pulled from the wreckage of their craft that crashed in Atlanta, California in the 50s. That craft you see over there is <clears throat> was over 250 feet in diameter and had to be buried on the spot. Uh, that site is in Utah near Dugway Proving Grounds. The object that you're looking at now is the Kecksburg acorn, which was brought to Wright Pat in the middle 60s. There's Frank Drake trying to force information out of a being tied down to that stretcher. He was supposedly from Tau Ceti. These pictures you're looking at now are the structures on the moon. That's the tower in Sinus Medi. It's over seven miles uh, tall. And that thing there is what we call a Colossus of Agurum in Maricusayim. We don't know what it does, but the machine itself is bigger than Brooklyn, New York. Now, those are videos of the domes covering the craters. You can see that some are in a very advanced state of decay. 
Now, these are five-second slides of the 18 different alien species we are looking uh, at. That one there is the most gruesome-looking. The guards at one facility are carefully indoctrinated over a period of several months, being shown pictures similar to, but not exactly like the alien. Only when they have been acclimatized, so to speak, of the horrible-looking beings are they allowed to stand uh, in security positions. Before these acclimatations were done, we had two guards die of a heart attack as these aliens came down the hallway unexpectedly. And this last clip is of the Kennedy assassination. You've heard of the second gunman theory. Well, this is the second camera that recorded exactly what happened. We had four gunmen. And the bottom line was Kennedy had to go. He insisted on releasing what little alien information we had told him about and he was trying to withdraw troops from Vietnam, which we were using as a diversion for the public. After Kennedy, we never told any president anything. Nixon knew because he was briefed as VP in 1952. That's how he knew where to take Jackie Gleason to Homestead Air Force Base to see the alien bodies we had storage there. And that's about it. That was about it. And then Lear would ask Bell, what say you? Yay or nay? And Art would do his usual hemming and hawing and, and assuming that, that the people can't handle the truth. And that's about where it ended up. But as I was driving through the foggy darkness and chilly sort of dampness of the November in the Midwest, even though I knew that the entire nine minutes of what I had just heard was some kind of weird John Lear stew of disinformation and misheard things and rumor and innuendo and, and general saucer nonsense. It was affecting. And I think it's because of the, the atmospheric nature of, of when and where I was driving. I think, and I'm going to be really honest about this. I was exhausted and probably not in any sort of condition to be driving. Um, I wasn't quite falling asleep at the wheel, but it was probably pretty close. I would never credit coast to coast am with keeping me alive but actively mentally engaging with what was going on on the radio was probably you know pretty significant to to me staying conscious at that point i don't know how the episode ended or i wouldn't know until later when i listened to the whole thing because i lost the radio signal um, about half an hour after the leader test and never picked it up again. And I ended up listening to heaven knows what was coming in over the AM radio, but I did make it home safely eventually. And I did get a few hours sleep before my job interview. So the Lear test has stuck around on the internet and been fairly interesting and fascinating because people generally tend to assume that, you know, it's real and it's, it's, when you go into it with a sort of assumption that if this was the story, what would you say? It becomes an interesting exercise in sort of public opinion and, and, and what would happen in the case of the disclosure, to use that term, of a story like this. Nowadays, when I listen to it, when I listen to it just now, as I tracked it in here, I sort of could not help but mentally make a list of all the errors and incorrect stories and oh that's not how that happened and oh that's not even what the internet says that was and oh there's about four different versions of this and none of them are the same and none of them are real i, I can't turn off the the analytical 
portion of it. But at, at that time, in November of 2003, I could, for just a tiny bit, I could turn off the part of my brain that made me think about the reality of what I was hearing, and I got wrapped up in the story. And it was pretty okay. So then, what do we do with this now? And I was wondering how normal people might react to the Lear test. Not coast-to-coast AM listeners, not Saucer Life listeners, not even Saucer Life Patreon people. So I decided to present it to the Saucer Wife. After all, she's straightforward, blunt, she's deeply practical, she's very, very normal. Plus, she lives with me, so it was easy to schedule. And I asked her to listen to what I heard that foggy November night 19 years ago. So, saucer wife, yay or nay? Nay. Nay. Okay. Tell me why. Why would you not want this information released to the American public and from there, the world public? Uh, number one, ignorance is bliss. I don't disagree with that. Number two, can you imagine the mass chaos that that would cause? I can. Now, I, I, before we go on, I should, I should ask you or, and just have you verify to the audience. You've never heard this before, right? No, it was my first time hearing okay, this. Okay, this. Okay, okay. Why else? What other reasons do you have? I'm more a general observations than okay. reasons. My those those first two reasons are it would just those are the why I made the decision. It would collapse the world to know if this were true. Okay, and specifically his story right here, right? Not correct. Not like there's aliens, but no, his correct. Him right. saying there's no God. That all of these world events were orchestrated to to the cover-up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So what observations did you have? Okay. Um, I was struck by the human mutilation. Okay. As I think I was supposed to be. Yes. Um, my first thought was, is these people are being returned basically to where they've abducted them. Mm-hmm. Yet no one, I mean, because they're, placed back say in their home or on the street but no one's ever seen this oh well you wouldn't have seen it that would have been covered up right right but that's a lot of covering up because forgive me we did some math yes and we're hoping our math is good yes um but 10 percent of the world population in the 50s would have been 250 million People. Right. We looked it up and uh, it was about 2.5 billion in uh, 1950. It was like 3 billion by 1960. So that is yeah. a heck. That's it just at 10%. But then he went on to say they d- ended up taking more. Right. So that is a lot of people. Now, are those the people who were mutilated or just abducted and had like the implant stuff put in them? That wasn't clear. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot that wasn't clear in this. Still, if you take just that number and wipe off the mutilation part, okay, 
That's a lot of people to cover up. It is. It is. Do you do you think any government can successfully do a cover up of that magnitude? Not for 70 years. No. No. Or 60 it would have been at this point. So these are more observations about his presentation and sort of like Yeah, you because calling, I originally like BS on some of this. Okay. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Because okay. listening to the beginning and that's really where it hits you. It's like, okay, if I went into it listening to like, okay, let's pretend this is real. People hearing there is no God. Right. And that their world governments have been orchestrating these horrific events to cover this up. Not to mention they came down to fund this cover up. Right. The drugs. Um, that part's real. The wall, the, wall, the wall Street, all of this stuff. Yeah. I think it would just throw everything, everyone into a huge, it would, yeah, Lord okay. of the Flies. Okay. But okay. those were my observations. Um, I guess, um, yeah, I just, I said the number of people that would have to be there to cover all of this up and no one blabbed. Right. No one? Right. That's just my, so yeah, more of my observations. No, I would not. I would not disclose. Um, what would you do? I would disclose. I would, and I, I need to say your reaction is exactly the, exactly the same as Art's. That, that Art said the same thing for pretty much the same reasons. I I say disclose because I I don't think those revelations would necessarily be as damaging as you do, or as Art does, um, but also. Sometimes it takes damaging revelations to move forward to a better future. You know, we, we, we need to know about the bad – the bad stuff comes out and then we can cope. And let's be honest. I, um, people being told there, there is no God. Um, people have been doing that for a while now. That's basically – from the Enlightenment onward, there's been this this sort of secularized chipping away at religious traditionalism. But they don't. They, nobody hasn't gone away. Yeah, but no one's come at you and and said with the proof. Like here's yeah. a video of how we faked it. Yeah. I think, I think you're underestimating the power of people's faiths. Ah, uh, I think you're no. I mm-hmm. I don't know. I I I think I I think you are. And as for the the government stuff maybe i would have felt differently in 2003 when i heard this and i can honestly say i don't really recall um what my response was at the time um but as far as the 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 government stuff i think maybe i'm very maybe i'm more cynical than most people but I have a feeling that if it was revealed that the government was doing X, Y, and Z horrible things, people would be like, figures. They're always doing stuff. And it would confirm a lot of people's conspiracy theories and, and, and things like that. Can I tell you some things about it, that observations that I had? I, I said earlier in the episode, um, before, before you got in the studio, that um, – one of the things about this is it is just a giant stew of every 
nonsense disinformation bad ufo history thing ever all just put together but my, my favorite thing about it is that um he ties everything together he ties everything together he, it's the abduction stuff but also the cattle mutilation stuff and the, the human mutilation stuff but he had to do that to make it believable but is tying everything together, including human people on Venus, like the contactees and the space brothers. Is, is it believable to, to say? Well, what if, okay, so if you were to leave a part out. Right. Well, that part wasn't real. This is the truth. The truth isn't that everything everybody has ever claimed is true. That mm-hmm. seems, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? It, yeah. it's, it's like this grand unified theory of, of everything. The other thing that I really loved and, I maybe I'm reading too much into it, but when he said that we had some trouble with amateur radio operators, but we took care of it. I mean, that has to be a little inside dig at Art Bell's ham radio hobby. It's gotta be. It's gotta be. So, um, but uh, but we we took care of that. And I'm not sure about Art's buddy Hamhawk. Remember Hamhawk? Oh my god, Hamhawk. Um, listeners, if if you weren't around for the message board flurry of stuff when Art Bell went to the Philippines to find his second wife, along with his buddy Hamhawk, who was uh, going to do the same thing, that was uh, that was a glorious time. That was about your first exposure to Art Bell. When I was like, this guy, this guy, it's Art Bell. He's got his buddy Hamhawk. Yeah, we were just married. We were just married. Yeah, um, yeah, not not too long. We were we were living in our second place then. So, were we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, remember that's when I had all, the, all that free time to screw around on the internet. Mm, yeah. That's when I met Sherry Schreiner. Oh, the experiences you've had. Good times. Good times. Well, thank hey, you. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Oh. I think you should open this up to to the listeners and see what they say. I'm going to. I'm. Okay. I was going to put it in the show notes, but I'll just go ahead and say it here. In the comments, um, there on 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 Patreon on the post for this. Uh, tell us what what you do. Would you say, yay or nay, to this, and uh, and why? I'm interested in hearing. So let's see what you all uh, what you all come up with. So thanks, thanks for coming in, oh. and uh, and listening. Thanks to for this. allowing me to travel to our basement. You're you're, you're welcome. Um, you won't get mileage, but uh, perhaps we can write dinner off. We can write dinner off. Yeah, yeah, and probably not. <laughs> yeah, we because we would have eaten the dinner anyway in the exact same place at the exact same time. So. All right. Well, I've got a few more things to say to finish this up, but uh, thanks a lot, Saucer Wife. And um, I don't know if you'll be on every bonus episode, but you've been on every Saucer Life bonus episode so far here on on the Patron. Oh, so maybe maybe I need need a break. Maybe may- maybe you need to shelf me for a little bit. You mean bench you? Oh, I thought like if you put something on a shelf. Yeah, but it's it's basketball tournament time, so true could, could bench you. Yeah. All right. So there we have it. The Saucer Life's response, what I would do in the same situation. I think to wrap this all up, I kind of need to ask why 
this all matters, not, you know, in general, but to me, um, not just Art Bell, not just the Lear test, but this relatively short-lived genre of broadcast listener interactive paranormal radio. It wasn't foundational to my initial paranormal inner life, but it introduced me to topics I wouldn't have otherwise cared about. I was a UFO guy, but when I heard episodes about cryptids and ghosts, I paid attention. The Jeff Reddens program, for all of its many, 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 many flaws and faults, was where I heard of Jim Keith, who I found intensely interesting and whose whose work I've enjoyed, even when I've thought it was loopy. Um, I never would have heard of Jim Keith, possibly, without Jeff Rents. And that drive, listening to the Lear Test episode, is something that is always going to be a very fraught but very fond memory because it was a good day even before Art Bell came on the air. It was a, a good day with people I loved. And somehow, memory-wise, Art Bell and John Lear kind of weaseled their way into that day full of spending time with people I loved. And I don't hate it. I think it's okay. Thank you for supporting the Saucer Life, Great Lakes Lore, and all our endeavors. And I'm still toying with the format of these bonus episodes on the Saucer Life side. But I think the, I like the idea of varying them each time and, and having them be distinct from what I usually do on the show. Thanks to the Saucer Wife for once again being a good sport. For Simpson J. Hanover III for associate producing. The music on this episode was by Soundflakes and was used under a Creative Commons attribution license. And oh, I should tell you how that interview went. Listener, it went poorly. Very, very poorly. The worst job interview I have ever had in my life. I'll leave it at that, but it was not good. But everything worked out, so I can't be mad at it. Thank you again. We'll talk later. Thank you.